how are we making history? Let's find out. This week, we're joined by another new Taprooted podcaster to share some news. Plus, emergency services use the jaws of life on the talus balls, breathing new life into discussion about the public art. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 216. We have prepared over the past five years that we've been recording this podcast. Every guest we talk to about the Talus Dome and is it in the right place and invariably everyone says the same thing. I like this piece of art, but it's not in the right place. It doesn't have the interactivity that it would have downtown. And oh boy, Mac, we'll get into it after the rabbit fire, but were they proven wrong? Yeah, the current location has never looked better if you're looking to climb some public art. But first, rapid fire. Pothole repairs continue to be done at a high pace, with more than 29,000 being filled in the first three months of 2023, but experts are warning it's not enough. Steve Hilbrandt, an invasive infrastructure species expert out of the Athabasca University, warns that once a mating pair starts multiplying, it can be hard to stop. He warned, quote, It starts with just a couple of potholes, but soon the whole road is rutted, and all those holes get together and you've got a sinkhole on your hands. And if you don't act fast, decisively and aggressively, before the invasive species takes root, we could be looking at a road extinction event. To address increasing demand for its FOIP request system, the Edmonton Police Service is launching an online system in order to prevent the large number of paper cuts that Doug, the one FOIP coordinator at EPS, was getting as he dumped all the incoming FOIP requests into the shredder. He told us, quote, The new online system will allow us to automatically mark all requests as delayed and file for extensions until the requester either forgets about it or dies. Probably on the LRT, because of Trudeau's mayor turning transit into a den of crackheads. A study has revealed urban coyotes are building their dens surprisingly close to human habitats. The close proximity increases the risk of negative interactions between coyotes and people and pets, but specifically in Edmonton, there are confounding variables exacerbating the problem. The study identified dens were, on average, 85 meters from the nearest building, which in Edmonton means that coyote dens are all less than 100 meters from cannabis shops. Researchers note that tripping coyotes high off the most potent of designed-for-human ganja have a seven times higher risk of getting the munchies on your schnauzer, Rufus. Our first bit of news comes in the form of a new podcast joining Taproot Edmonton. We mentioned last week that the APN, the Alberta Podcast Network, has become defunct, but some of the podcasts are finding new homes. And to get into that a little bit, I'd like to welcome back the champion of year one speaking municipally jeopardy chris chang yen phillips and his producer trevor chow fraser to talk a little bit about let's find out hi hello welcome uh new podcast to taproot but let's find out predates us by quite a while actually troy you guys started the show in 2016 is that right chris yeah, the project started uh, as sort of an outgrowth of my work when I was historian laureate, back when I was a, a, a Jeopardy candidate. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's been rolling on since then. We've picked different themes. Um, Trevor's been working on the show with me for the last few years, which has been fun. Um, this is like our third or fourth podcast we worked on together, and it's a blast to work on stuff with him. We started at uh, in community radio doing environmental news, and uh, I've worked on a couple of podcasts. And I actually listened in on some of the first episodes of Let's Find Out to provide input, but wasn't officially uh, involved. <laughs> We all on this podcast know about Let's Find Out, but there may not be a crossover with 100% of our listenership. 
Tell everyone what is Let's Find Out all about. So the show is on its face about local history, about Edmonton. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history. We bring them along on little detective adventures to find out the answers to their questions. But the secret thread running underneath it is that it's a research methodology podcast to teach you how to be a discerning finder of information on your own. This is why it's called Let's Find Out, not We'll Find Out For You. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The idea is that hopefully in the long term, we teach listeners how to critically find information that's credible to answer their own questions in the future and maybe build a better informed society that doesn't take history for granted. That would be good. Do you have any indication that you've succeeded at teaching people how to find things out on their own? I think when we succeed um, at the teaching people the tools part is is often when I get to take people into an archive or a library or to read an old book for the first time. Seeing people access microfiche at the city archives, for example, is always a blast. Seeing their eyes like spin as they see like, whoa, I can get these old newspapers from the 80s and find an actual definitive picture showing that I wasn't crazy, that there was actually a train on top of the rooftop of the bay downtown. That's always a cool moment. Yeah, I mean, I I think part of why I do radio or podcasting is because it's just so cool when you you contact someone at at the city or the government or a researcher or a business person, and you're just like, hey, I have this quote-unquote podcast. Can you just tell me everything you know about something? And they're, they're so willing to do it. I wonder what it's like if you're not behind the guise of a podcast or a radio show. <laughs> Are people so willing to talk? Um, I think it depends on the kind of show you have. I'm not sure we always get that reaction, Troy. <laughs> well, I mean, definitely during the election, I totally utilized my podcast credentials to sneak into media events and press releases. The podcast, it's like wearing the high visibility vest and carrying a clipboard. <laughs> You can do just about anything if you're behind a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And that, that's why we like to bring people along with us on the ride and let them kind of take the lead sometimes, too. So speaking of the ride, um, the ride is continuing and uh, Let's Find Out is joining Taproot Edmonton. So what's the big news to share here? Yeah, so Let's Find Out, we've been part of, we were part of the Alberta Podcast Network f- since early days, too. Not since year one, but for five or six years. And it was really great being part of the network. Um, And I was really bummed (laughs) when we heard that it was winding down. Uh, But we got a very soft landing when we heard the Taproot was interested in making a sort of an organelle. Um, We'll be like uh, a chloroplast or something, you know, we'll still have our own machinery going on, but we're going to be part of the Taproot journalism family along with uh, you folks, which is really cool. I really respect the work that Taproot does. And you know, I listen to Speaking Municipally. Um, it's it's nice being an organelle alongside y'all. Well, we've been fans of Let's Find Out for a really long time at Taproot. We worked together actually on your 2019 season uh, called How Nature Shapes Us. And I remember one of the cool things about that is we collaborated a little bit on the live event that you did. And we had a real physical yeah. story garden, which was kind of fun. <laughs> so when Taproot started, we had a very similar approach to Let's Find Out. We asked People asked us questions. We wanted to know what they were curious about. And then we'd try and go find the answers. A little bit different in that we didn't always take people along for the ride in the same way that you folks do. But that curiosity uh, starting point is just so central to everything that 
Taproot is about that we just thought, you know, this is such an awesome podcast. We really hope that Let's Find Out continues after, you know, APN winds down. And so uh, we were super excited that you guys were open to exploring what that could look like. And to be able to bring it into the Taproot fold is really exciting for us. The fun thing about that story garden that we did together is that we were trying to think of how to physically collect people's questions. And I, I had a bunch of index cards, but we were like, it'd be fun to have them in something that looked like a garden. And Mac, wasn't it you and Trevor that both had the same like <laughs> green grass looking silicone drying mats for baby bottles? <laughs> yeah, anybody who's got kids probably has had one of these things or, or something similar. Yeah, it's like, a, it looks like grass and you put it on your counter and you can, it's awesome because you just plop the bottles and the, the nipples and all the rest of the parts and stuff on there and it just dries. It's really great. It's called a boon. That's right. <laughs> it's boon. called a boon. Yeah, it's so, it's so awesome that I had another baby just so that I could keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> so Let's Find Out is joining Taproot in the middle of an existing season. We're doing a mid-season pickup. And the current season is all about parks and natural areas. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. The, the general idea of the season was like, we're always trying to get people to not take our the spaces around us, the people around us, the stories around us for granted. And parks are a good way to kind of denaturalize a little bit things that maybe we just take on their face value like oh has there always been a protected mckinnon ravine turns out that's not the case people actually fought for it and this latest episode within the park season was actually a question that trevor had driven by um some boredom in your household right, trevor? <laughs> yeah yeah it was, well believe it or not it was winter a couple of weeks ago and <laughs> we were just stuck indoors for so long and i just wanted to you know get outside so i brought my eldest child, uh, Elliot, along with me. And we talked to a whole bunch of people about what goes on in Edmonton's parks in the wintertime to, uh, you know, keep people going out to the parks. And then talking to designers and, and some of the city planners about what kind of structural and programming changes have to happen in the winter to live up to our winter city kind of moniker. Because if we're not going out to our parks in the winter, then I don't, I'm not sure we're actually a winter city. So yeah, it was, it was really fun and a little bit more, uh, th it kicks off with a little bit more audio adventure than you normally get, I think, but it, it was fun. I thought Trevor was able to get to some really fascinating uh, answers to this question too. For example, uh, what happens when a pilot project is seen as a failure maybe by somebody who participated in it, but not by the city of Edmonton who invited the pilot. That was pretty interesting to get into. Even a podcast about history, we end up talking about pilots in the city of Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, and we learned that there was like a winter strategy in the 80s. We didn't have time to like really dig it up, but I would, I would love to see that because the winter strategy that came out of the 80s was kind of resulting in like the Pedway network. And it was about getting indoors <laughs> instead of getting outdoors and living th in the winter. It was more about like surviving the winter. One fun, weird tangent from this episode has been that one of our guests, Danielle Sonef, she's been watching some of the stuff we've been posting on Instagram as like extra bonus material from the episodes. And she saw that we'd posted about a book from the 70s, a report called Mini Parks for Edmonton, um, that we used as part of our research for trying to find out what is the smallest park in the city. Um, and now she's been getting into it and finding stuff that we weren't able to get into. So this lovely, weird book many parks of Edmonton is having even more of a life because we're in the same circles yeah and one of the really cool things about the shows as it's become uh seven eight years old is 
we'll often contact someone to be a guest expert and they're already a listener of the show and they're like, they're really excited to be on the show as an expert because they've been listening to it for so long. That's awesome. I also imagine having more people who've been listening for a long time might lead to more questions. And uh, I know you're, you still have some more episodes to go for this season. If, if people are curious about something related to parks, how can they express their curiosity to you folks? Yeah, so we kicked off the season with a live show back in end of September. And we uh, we collected, a, we built up a new story garden for this year. So we collected a bunch of questions then. We still have story questions that we want to go through. Uh, we've been kind of waiting for summertime to get to some of them. But we can definitely take on more questions. And I think that as the season has gone on, there might be new questions that have arisen that people didn't really think about last uh, fall. So if people want to email Chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com, or Chris, which social media platforms are we on now? Because I think some of them have died over the past year. <laughs> Depending on which billionaire has destroyed them. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're on Instagram and Facebook. I deleted our Twitter account, which honestly was for the best because it's not a great intersection with our audience, I think. We have an audience that's like really willing to sit for a nuanced conversation and like get in depth and tease apart issues. And I posted something on Twitter, one of my little like teaser videos about like, getting people thinking about Parks in Edmonton. And it was just me talking about like, hey, what do you think? Should Parks in Edmonton be public? And people thought I was like suggesting that we should privatize all of them <laughs> public spaces. And they started like saying like, what is this like insane, like right-wing reactionary podcast? Where do these people come from? So yeah, I'm kind of glad we shut down the Twitter. So we're, we're actually canceled on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's a bit of a cesspool anyway. Uh, you can also send your questions, of course, to taproot, hello at taprootedmonton.ca. We hear from lots of speaking municipally listeners all the time, and we'll make sure your questions make their way to Chris and Trevor as well. Well, guys, what's next for the show? Um, so this month, um, we're going to do a follow to our very first episode, um, which Trevor helped uh, me polish that up and, and make all pretty back in the day. So the very first episode was called The Snow Goose Case. And I had been on these bus tours that the Empton Nature Club did out to Toefield, where they would take you on a school bus and you'd just like run around the countryside looking for these flocks of snow geese, like thousands of these beautiful white birds. And it's a fun kind of weird event to have been part of. And then as I was on it one year, I learned like this used to be actually a whole festival in the town of Tofield. Like 5,000 people used to come out. So I wondered how did it go from being a festival in town to being these school buses racing around the countryside? Um, and it turned out part of the answer was that the lake had disappeared. The entire Beaver Hill Lake um, became so dry that like parts of it had set on fire. I got like pictures of cows standing in the middle of what used to be the lake. But this year, it's back. So um, we're going to do a little follow-up on how the heck did this festival get a new life, which is great because it's such a cool idea and how beautiful in spring to have something nice to look forward to, like big flocks of geese. I mean, while we're jumping back into your back catalog, uh, I have to say uh, one of my Let's Find Out recommendations is, I want to say it's one of the earlier episodes, the one about moving the apartment a couple blocks <laughs> over. Um <laughs> That that episode was just a wild ride and really exemplified exactly what we were talking about of just like, here's a completely ridiculous question that on its face sounds absurd and then actually finding proof of it. Uh, it it made me want to do some research. I, of course, didn't, um, but it made me want to. 
<laughs> that was a really fun one to do. And a good example of the value of like holding up a skeptical eyebrow to even a story that you really love. Um, in this case, somebody had heard that their grandpa had, yeah, had an apartment building picked up and moved down the street. And um, she loved the story, but wanted to find out how true it was. And it was really interesting finding different ways to answer it through a variety of methods. All I'll say is like, I, I, got, I felt like Oprah in that episode, getting to <laughs> deliver some of that information. That is episode six, if you're looking back and want to have a listen. We're so glad to have you as part of Taproot. Uh, we've got some additional work to do to you know, do the integration and make sure you appear on the website and all the right places and, and all that good stuff. And we're working on that over the next few weeks. But you know, Chris and Trevor, thanks so much for joining us to tell us a little bit more about the show. And hopefully our Speaking Municipally listeners, if they're not already, will subscribe to Let's Find Out as well. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Mac. We'll be telling our folks to subscribe to Speaking Municipally as well. I teased off the top, Mac, about the Talus Dome. And of course, everyone listening to this podcast has probably heard at this point that this week, Buddy got trapped in the Talus Dome. It was news all over the city, and I'm sure well outside the city, because this is exactly the type of story that BuzzFeed and the like love to pick up. Oh, everybody, right? So this happened on April 9th in the evening, around 8.30 p.m. Firefighters were called because a man had climbed the Talus Dome and fell inside and became trapped inside. And one of the bystanders who saw this and recorded the video said that the individual who was caught inside was kind of running around, going crazy, like he couldn't get out. He was really, really freaked out about it. It wasn't a quick rescue. It took about an hour, but fire rescue services did get him out. They used the jaws of life and a bunch of other heavy equipment, apparently, and they ended, they ended up damaging some of the balls in the process. But the man was safely excavated from the test. <laughs> excavated is a good word to describe it. This is all very funny, but... The comedy does start to end in the aftermath, specifically for the person who was stuck and then excavated in the Talus Dome, who has now been charged with mischief over $5,000, a criminal charge for uh, allegedly damaging several of the balls while climbing. Which he did not do, right? These are steel balls. You don't damage them by climbing. It was the equipment that was used to get them out that damaged the balls, right? And this has spurred quite a bit of debate about well, is it appropriate to charge? What should the punishment be for this crime, as it were? And I think all of that bears talking about, for sure. But most of the damage to the Talus Dome was caused by the firefighters literally using heavy equipment to damage it intentionally in order to get the guy out. This made me wonder, isn't this the most predictable possible thing? If there's gaps between these balls, like, someone's gonna eventually get up inside. Like, this seems like something that we should have planned for. How do we clean the inside of these balls? So we had asked the Edmonton Arts Council, how do you do this? Is there access to the Talus Dome? And you got a response back. Yeah, they told me that there is actually a maintenance hatch on the Talus Dome, and it's used by their conservation department to clean and otherwise uh, you know, maintain the Talus Dome. And it turns out that emergency services just had no idea it was there. So just, just to be clear... This guy was trapped inside the art. Firefighters show up, take an hour and a half to use heavy equipment and the jaws of life to cut through the art when the door was right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly where it is, but yes, there's a maintenance hatch. If they had maybe made a phone call or something, they could have found out how to get in here. And maybe that just didn't cross their mind. I understand they're there. Probably the individual's pretty stressed out. They're just trying to get them out of there as quickly as possible. But yes, we could have saved this damage. 
by simply using the existing maintenance hatch. And this brings me to some of the questions that I have about this rescue, because now I'm not saying I know about this from personal experience, but I'm speculating that if one was inside the talisdome, one could go on their belly and easily slip out. Uh, it's not that hard to get in and out. Certainly, if a firefighter used a shovel and dug for two and a half, five minutes, there's definitely enough room to wiggle out on your belly. The grass melted. Again, I don't know this. And also, certainly, if one was to climb on these high-grade stainless steel balls, you wouldn't damage it. You wouldn't even scuff it. Not that I have. Again, allegedly. This whole situation strikes me as one of the most predictable of outcomes. I love to climb on things. If I'm in a national park and there's a tree that's across a trail, maybe it's 10 feet up, I'm going to climb that tree. It's just, it is not possible for me not to do that. So I absolutely understand this individual's desire to climb the art. And in fact, it's a pile of steel balls. It's almost asking to be climbed, especially <laughs> like it's on top of a hill. King of the Hill is a natural game for kids because hills are designed to be kinged. That is just the natural state of being a hill and being a pile on top of a hill. Given that, I do wonder if this doesn't highlight yet another problem with our public art program, because we're still designing public art that really isn't meant to be interacted with. Uh, you know, you look at the Chicago Bean, for example, you can get real up close and personal. And you can see the entire world being warped around it. You see many other pieces of artwork that are climbable, slidable, very interactable. Edmonton doesn't quite have things like that. If I'm to take anything away from the buzzfeedification of this whole thing, it really just is a shame that the result of this is not introspection on our public art program and how we can improve it and how we can broadly give fun to people in the city, but instead it's how we can penalize through criminal charges someone doing the most predictable of things. <laughs> it's kind of surprising, actually. The Arts Council told me that this has never happened in the 12 years since the Talisdome was installed. I personally did not even realize there was an opening at the top. Like I didn't realize you could get in there, but you're right. It is a pretty predictable thing. And it's really shocking that it hasn't happened just because the conversation hasn't veered so far toward that introspection doesn't mean that it can't start now. And I think you've seeded that well, Troy, the other most famous bit of interactive art in Edmonton probably is the baseball bat, right? I think it's funny, though, that because people do the most predictable of things, the city of Edmonton has solved it in the most predictable of ways. And right beside the baseball bat, there's a sign that says in big text, caution, baseball bat is not a ride. Interactive display only. Not responsible for any injuries. And I kind of wonder, what does interactive display mean? If not to ride it. <laughs> yes, it seems like an oxymoron, interactive display. Uh, well, that's way to take the fun out of it, City of Edmonton. You know, in, in just looking up uh, this as we're talking here, Troy, I did find on your uh, BuzzFeedification uh, angle here, 10 of Edmonton's most iconic pieces of public art curated by Daily Hive. And actually, there's a few of them on here that would be considered more interactive. So there's the giant feet at Southgate, which you can climb on and sit on, I think. They've got the baseball bat on there. Uh, they've got the Indigenous Art Park, course in queen elizabeth park which has uh some stuff you can climb on there's 
Borden Park with uh, the Vaulted Willow, which you can kind of walk in and uh, probably not climb on, but you can kind of go around all the different uh, legs and everything like that. One shouldn't climb on it, but one definitely does. (laughs) And then another one to me that looks like a giant jungle gym is called the Dove of Peace, uh, which is uh, in Gallagher Park, right? Yes. And the Dove of Peace absolutely is not to be climbed on, but like you said, begs to be climbed. Yeah, got to scratch Troy's climbing itch. Come on, City of Edmonton. <laughs> Back in my days as a youth, I filled my climbing itch by climbing the ladder in StarCraft II, uh, a premier esport. And I was very happy to see this week that City Council has unanimously approved a motion by Councillor Andrew Knack asking administration to help attract mid and large size esports events to Edmonton. That's right. So Andrew Knack wrote a blog post about this as well as uh, spoke about it at committee. And, you know, he said that he thinks Edmonton can be a leading hub in North America for video game development, similar to how, you know, in the southern part of the province and especially around Calgary, it's become uh, maybe a bit of a leader in terms of film and television. It's not Vancouver level, but it's certainly, you know, beyond what we've got up here in Edmonton. And we have a history, of course, in Edmonton of video game development with BioWare, some of the more recent companies like Beamdog that have done some pretty interesting things around video games. And there is a strategy around this called the Alberta esports strategy. And the intent of Councillor Knack's motion here is really just to make sure that all of the different groups that might have a role to play in this, so of course the Edmonton Screen Industries Office, but also he's thinking about Edmonton Global, Explore Edmonton, and all the rest of them, just to make sure that they're working together and are coordinated to try and come up with a plan to make the most of what could be a pretty interesting opportunity for Edmonton. Yeah, and my first reaction on reading this is, well... I don't particularly want the city of Edmonton to be subsidizing esports events to come to Edmonton. Like, I I think we can get a lot of bang for our buck in other avenues. But what was interesting to me was the reminder that as part of the deal for, you know, building Rogers Place, the city of Edmonton has a couple dozen days per year that they get Rogers Place. They can schedule and program it as they would. So most years, the city just lets those days lapse. They don't take advantage of them. I think that's a really interesting idea to offer city subsidized event space in Rogers Place. Rogers Place is a fantastic venue. And if we were using Rogers Place, this is premier like League of Legends level attendance events. It's you could have quite a large event or a smaller event in that venue. And I think that's a really cool idea. Esports, of course, doesn't have the same requirements of regular sports. Everyone's already inside in an air-conditioned venue. Whether you're in Arizona or you're in Edmonton, it doesn't particularly matter to the competitors, nor does it matter to the guests who are viewing. So I think it's a really interesting opportunity, and I'd love to see it pursued a little bit further. Part of Councillor Knack's motion was to develop a plan to host a mid-sized esports event in the next one to two years and a major esports event in the next two to three years. And you you mentioned earlier that you know you're maybe not keen on seeing the city subsidize this kind of thing. I am actually okay with that. I mean, we subsidize all kinds of other events that come to Edmonton in the hopes that they're going to bring, you know, tourism and investment and other things to the city. And I look at esports and I think, yeah, absolutely. Why not? I mean, in the same way that video games dwarf the movie and film and TV industry. I mean, esports is a smaller piece still, but at some point, I got to believe it's going to surpass, you know, all the other sporting events that we might attract Edmonton in terms of popularity and investment and all the rest of it. And so to position Edmonton to take a piece of that, I think would be pretty, pretty uh, strategic. 
Well, there was some unanimity on the motion for esports, but another motion that went to council this week about the encampment response in the state of Edmonton did not receive quite as much unanimity. It was requisitioned to council for a full debate, as all are sort of contentious and big dramatic motions tend to be. And of course, we would sort of expect this. The encampment, the homelessness, and the houselessness response in the city of Edmonton is very much becoming not only the marquee item of debate of this term, but with an upcoming provincial election, it's a non-trivial factor in who might be elected next month. And as the weather turns warmer, we're of course going to see more encampments outside uh, compared to what we see in the winter. So this came up at Community and Public Services Committee. There's a nonprofit group called MAPS Alberta Capital Region who was uh, asked to create a report for the city's encampment response team uh, about encampments. And their report, which is called Staying Outside is Not a Preference, Homelessness in Edmonton, uh, interviewed about 120 people. And make some recommendations, talks about perhaps the city should support small-scale Indigenous-led camps to help people transition to secure housing, because of course, there just isn't enough housing right now. Mac, I seem to recall there was a debate just last summer about city-led encampments that was not recommended by administration and then council voted against doing. Am I misremembering that? No, that's right. I mean, the city administration does not think we should have encampments in any shape or form. And council, I think, finds themselves in a really difficult position because they want to maybe listen to the advice of administration here. And, you know, administration makes clear that encampments are maybe a magnet for disorder. They might lead to crime. There's a health concern for the folks who are in encampments. And all of those things are true, but there's nowhere for those folks to go. We don't have enough supportive housing Uh, We don't have enough permanent supportive housing for those folks. We don't have enough shelters or drop-in spaces or detox facilities for people to go to. So what do we do in that instance? And council previously said, well, maybe we should have some encampments. Of course, council hasn't decided quite yet to actually sanction city-run encampments. This is all going to be requisitioned to council next week for further debate. But I think you're right that council finds themselves between this rock and this hard place simply because... Edmontonians are getting frustrated with the state of transit, with the state of encampments, with the state of visible houselessness in our downtown in the core areas of our city. I think council has said they are hearing that loud and clear, and you cannot go on social media without hearing that loud and clear. But what do you do as an Edmonton city councillor when your hands are so frequently tied? I thought it was really interesting, though, because... This week on Reddit, there was a post that appeared um, and, you know, already people are saying a post on Reddit, I'm bracing for impact. But (laughs) the content of the post was this person said, I was at the city debate around homelessness today and I thought that council was being really reasoned and trying to find solutions and I thought city staff were proposing great options for a really difficult situation. And the tenor of the post was, you know, I've complained about this on the internet before, but actually watching the process, I feel like they're really trying their best to do good work. And I think that's the story of houselessness in Edmonton. We have a council that really is doing their darndest to try and succeed, but all the barriers around us, all the systemic problems and all the jurisdictional snafus are preventing us from succeeding. So am I optimistic that we're going to get a solution 
next week? No, I don't think so. I think any solution, like we've said before, has to come starting on May 29th. Councillor Salvador said that she thinks Edmontonians might be becoming more open to the idea of these intentional camps, these sort of bridge between where they currently are, maybe on the street, and some sort of a pathway to housing, which is interesting, right? Because if council feels like they're not the only ones out there who think this is what we need to do to try to address this problem, then, uh, you know, it's more likely that something will happen there. Of course, you mentioned provincial election coming up. The mayor was quick to use this uh, as well to talk about, again, how we don't have enough permanent supportive housing and to be clear that these encampments exist in Edmonton only because we don't have that proper housing and for a place for people to go and spend the day or the evening and, and to be safe. And so it's kind of really hammering home that that message that our council has been relatively consistent on, at least in terms of housing, that the city's doing all it's all it can and and we need more from the province in order to uh, tackle these root issues. And of course it's easy to take a inward breath. It's quite warm this week and we're on the precipice of summer. Summer's just it's easier to be houseless in summer than it is in winter because you're not scared of falling asleep and either not waking up due to hypothermia or having a limb amputated because of the cold. But Council has to be feeling the pressure this year. There was a lot of delay in ramping up emergency cold shelter spaces. I'm thinking of the Jasper Place Wellness Center, which, you know, was well after several emergency cold responses that those additional spaces spun up. So I think council has to be feeling the pinch. They do not want to get this wrong another year. And they have to be looking is the province going to act? And if the province doesn't act, what can we do as a city to make sure we don't have another winter with record-breaking amputations? And Councillor Paquette proposed a motion that I'm sure we'll hear more about next week. I wanted administration to look at what could they do to provide access to clean water and waste disposal and all the other things that might make it a safer, you know, not ideal, but transitionary option um, to, as we as we try and get those larger issues sorted out. And of course, we track when these issues get sorted out every single day to your inbox. That's right. The Pulse from Taproot Edmonton allows you to start your day well-informed with Taproot's daily news briefing. It tells you everything you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning, and you get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of all the other roundups, which is business, tech, food, the arts, and so much more. And one of the other things that I find extremely useful about The Pulse is there's an event listing. There's so much stuff going on in Edmonton. It's not an exhaustive event listing, but it's more exhaustive than what's in the back of my head. It's very hard to keep track of everything that's going on in this city because there's a lot of cool stuff. And I tend to find a lot of cool stuff in The Pulse. You can check it out at taprootedmonton.ca. Get it right to your inbox every weekday. And that's it for another week. You can subscribe to Speaking Municipally, wherever podcasts are sold. And also subscribe to Let's Find Out, wherever podcasts are sold. They're available in the same place, same app. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can also listen to Let's Find Out. Um, I'd say wherever you're listening to Let's Find Out, you can also listen to this podcast, which is true, but not very useful given that you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and not that one. <laughs> subscribe to both. Give us a rating. We'd appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Chris. I'm Trevor. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally.